All right, do I have an awake, alive, faith-filled, Holy Ghost-filled, fire-baptized believers in the house with me this morning? I know it's the end of summer. I know everyone's getting ready for school and all of that jazz, but, you know, as I often have said, I'm a part audience participation preacher, which means the hungrier you come to the table, the more you're going to get out of it. And I feel like I have a full-course meal for you today. And I feel like I got to condense it down because we got a lot going on. So I need you to shout me down and we need to keep this thing moving. Amen? Amen. You have a Bible today. I want you to open it up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 13. Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 13. Very familiar passage of scripture to many of us, but I'm hoping that the Lord would expand our... Maybe it's my beard. I don't know. Okay. And uh, expand my, uh, our, our understanding of it just a little bit. So Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the blessed, uh, breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all. Everyone say above all. Above all. What we've just read, everything is vitally important. There's nothing about the armor that's mentioned that we should underestimate. It's all essential and it's all important. But yet in verse 16, Paul begins to make this announcement. This whole actual verse would be one of the epistles that Paul would write from prison. He actually wrote 14 letters in the New Testament. And many of these would be called prison epistles because they were written in prison. So I want you to picture Paul as he's writing these letters and he's chained and he's probably guarded by a Roman soldier. And as he's writing about the, the, the armor of God and, and being ready in every season, visualize him looking at that, that, that Roman soldier in, in all of his armor standing there. And he's connecting with the armor of the soldier. He's connecting that with how we need to be ready with God. So he's, he's outlining all of this, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the, the sword of the spirit. But he says they're all essential and they're all important. But verse 16, he says, above all, everybody say it again, above all, take the shield of faith. Above all, take the shield of faith. If there's going to be anything in your life that's going to dull, if there's anything in your life spiritually that you forget along the way, it's all essential. But above all, drop your sword for a minute. But above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about honoring your faith shield. Honoring your faith shield. I have had in my office for many years because I'm a product of the 90s Christianity and 80s. My, my, my shield. And uh, 
I have a sword that came with it when I had gone to a Christian conference back in the day. And they had it available in the lobby for like your love gift of $500 or something. And I think I used all of my rent and uh, got it. And uh, it used to be pointy, but it fell off the wall a few times. And we've moved like 20 buildings, so, you know, in that process. But I wanted to bring this out today because I want to talk to us about honoring our faith shield. Paul gave us a picture of what faith looked like when he looked at that Roman soldier. And he would have seen that Roman soldier holding a shield. And he wanted the reader to understand it's all important, but no matter what happens, do not put down your faith shield. You can get the whole sermon right there from that sentence. I'm going to expound on it for a little while yet. Do not put down your faith shield. Paul says there are some characteristics about the shield that he connects with our faith. He said it's the shield that defends us. It's the shield that guards us. It is this shield that protects us. It hides us in many ways. You need to know that the shield is not you. But yet it cannot work without you. Your faith is not you. But yet you'll never walk in the fullness of what God has for you without working your faith shield. Come on, somebody. The reality of the existence of this shield acknowledges that there are dangers, that there are threats, that we have enemies all around that wage war. I'll give you a little few script, scriptures very quickly back to back about your faith. Romans 12:3 says, God has given each one of us, everybody say that's me. Each one of us a measure of faith. So faith is a gift from God. You have it. Well, pastor, I don't have faith. That's a lie. Well, I wish I could be one of those giants of the faith. That's a lie. You are. You are a giant of the faith. You have faith. Well, I'm not good in those type of situations. I couldn't believe for miracles like that. That's a lie. That's the enemy speaking to you, saying you can't, you won't, you don't have it. When he says your faith is a gift from God. You have it. Amen? Ephesians 2 says that we are saved by grace through faith. So faith is the critical component into even experiencing salvation. I often tell people when they say, well, I don't have faith. I'm like, well, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you believe he died on the cross? Yes. So what you're telling me is you believe that a man that you've never seen came from heaven, a place that you've never been, came to earth, lived and died on a cross that you've never seen, shed blood that you've never seen, all that you could be saved. I absolutely believe that, yes. And you're telling me you don't have any faith. We just somehow think that that faith works for salvation, but when it comes to healing or deliverance or freedom in our lives, well, that's a whole different thing. No, 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 no. Faith is the faith that God granted you, and you have faith. Matthew 9, 22, Jesus says, your faith has made you whole or made you well. 
Jesus looks at Peter in, in Luke twenty two thirty two, 32, and he says, Peter, I have prayed that your faith will not fail you. Now, here's an interesting thing. Faith can fail. Jesus said, I'm praying that your faith won't fail you. Actually, Matthew 8, 26, Jesus looks at a whole group of people and says, oh, ye of little faith. You have faith. But faith can fail. Faith can be little. Faith can be small. He actually says it can be small like a mustard seed. James 1.3 tells us that your faith can be tested. We see another place that Jesus said, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. So faith can be small, but faith can also be great. And faith can be seen. And what does it look like? And that's what Paul is wanting you to imagine. He says, when I think of faith, I think of a shield. That's the manifestation. That's how it works. It's a protector. It protects you. What Paul was announcing is that at some point in all of our lives, we are all going to face some type of battle, some type of trial, circumstance, situation. We're all going to experience a blow. But he says it's in those moments that you have to choose to take up your shield of faith and trust God no matter what is coming against you. There's an old war movie called 300, and in that movie they have a quote, and I think it applies well today. And the quote in that movie says, if the enemy blots out the sun with their arrows, we will fight in the shade under the shadow of our shield. If the, sun, if the enemy blots out the sun with their arrows, which means there's just problem after problem, attack after attack, where it seems like in your life, I can't even see the sun because there's so much war coming against me. He says, that's all right. We will fight then under the shadow, under the shade of our shield. Or as a New Testament believer would say, the shield of our faith. We don't just say, well, hunker down and wait for the arrows to stop, wait for them to pass by. But no, we rise up in faith and we defend. David, in his life, would conquer 22,000 Philistines. 22,000 Philistines. And every time he would conquer the Philistines in different battles, he would command his men to go and take the shields of the dead Philistines and bring them back. So in essence, David would have had 22,000 shields about. They would take those shields and they would make it a monument that they were victorious, that they had come through the trial to be reminded every time they would look at those 22,000 shields that God brought them through. Sometimes you have to go back and look at the shields that you've won in the past. Come on, somebody. 
There's another time in David's life when he's on the run and he had no sword, he had no weaponry, he was, he was in a hurry and he ends up back at the, the temple and he says to the priest, I'm in a hurry, I'm on the run, I have no, 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 you know, no weapons. And the priest says, well, the sword of Goliath is here. Because after David had defeated Goliath, he took the sword and brought it as an offering, as a a, a monument, if you will, into the house of God. And the very sword that David had collected from Goliath years prior was the same sword that David would collect in this new season that would cause him to win victories again. What I'm trying to say to you is sometimes we have to look back at the goodness of God to be reminded that he didn't bring me this far just to leave me here. He didn't bring me this far to fail me, but he brought me this far because victory is assured. I just have to rise up in faith. I have to get out of this is God for me? Does he love me? Is he by my side syndrome? And I have to step up in all of the faith that I have, muster up and say, I know and I believe and I will rise and I will fight because it's really hard to fight for something that you do not believe is on your side. See, that's why the enemy will work overtime to convince you God was on your side, it wouldn't happen. If God was on your side, the situation wouldn't be like this. If God loved you, you'd have never walked through that. Don't forget we have an enemy. But when you know and you're secure, he loves me. I don't know why that happened. I can't explain that disappointment. I can't explain that failure. But what I do know is he absolutely loves me and he's passionate about me and he cares for me and he walks beside me every single step of the way. Therefore, even with unanswered questions, I can rise in faith. I can gather strength from the shields that I've gathered from past victories for the current battle that I'm facing. There was a certain type of soldier in history known as the Spartans. They were native to Sparta, Greece, and they were known as some of the most powerful warriors in history. Actually, in the time, most cities would have been surrounded uh, by fortified walls and towers and gates. But actually, the city of Sparta would have no such wall. Their city was open. There was no wall, no gates. And people would often ask them, how comes your city isn't protected by walls? And often their response would be, our men are our walls. Our men are our walls. Listen to that for a second. God, give us the kind of spirit that we would say our men and our women are our walls. Soldiers ready for battle. When they would look around, we wouldn't be cowering in fear, afraid. Amen? Amen. They were a fierce people. They were fearless warriors. I want to break this down a little bit for you because I want you to see the, the, in, in some of their training how I believe it can apply to the believer. At the age of seven, a Spartan warrior would be sent to military training school. They would go there for 13 years. And for 13 years, they were taught to endure pain. Can I just parenthetically insert this right here? We need to be taught to endure pain. You know, one of the fruits of the Spirit is not just joy and love 
but long-suffering. You are counted in God's ranks as a valiant warrior and soldier and somebody that he can use and somebody that can be trusted when you have the ability to go through trial and hardship with long-suffering. I'm preaching to myself this morning. Because for me sometimes, like, well, God, I didn't get the answer and I didn't get the turnaround within six months. Therefore, it's not going to happen and I'm giving up and I'm quitting and I'm angry at God and you didn't come through for me. And God's saying, but I can't use you in the ranks that I really, I'm calling somebody out in faith this morning. But I can't use you in the ranks that I desire to use you until you pass the long suffering test. So instead of crying and, and complaining, how about lifting up your hands in faith and believing even in the midst of suffering because long suffering will always be a mark of a mature believer. Don't tell me you're a prophet of God just because you feel a little flutter in your tummy. Don't tell me you're a prophet of God because you can try to speak something to somebody. A prophet of God will be one who has developed in all of the fruits and the giftings of the spirit marked by long suffering. The prophets of old could endure. The prophets of old were stoned. The prophets of old were outcast. They weren't paraded. They weren't exalted. They weren't lifted high. They weren't thrown money at. The prophets of old knew how to suffer long, to be a mouthpiece for God, even when nobody else liked them. For 13 years, they would be taught to endure pain. For 13 years, they would be taught survival skills. For 13 years, they would be taught to honor And fight for what was right. For 13 years they would be taught self-defense and warfare tactics. They would go through this vigorous training. And at age 20 they would reach manhood. And they would become a soldier. One thing I thought was very interesting. That after the Spartan would become a full soldier. He would spend all of his time with his fellow soldiers, his fellow comrades. They would move as a unit. They would go as a group. They would eat as a group. They would sleep as a group. Everywhere they went was a unit. Can I just tell you this morning that the Bible says where there is unity, the blessing of the Lord is commanded. Which means he has to send blessing where there's unity. It's commanded. Means I can have everything else wrong. But when I'm in unity, the blessing is commanded. (laughs) Come on, somebody. So it is not a crazy thing. When, when the enemy tries to come in and divide and separate a church and cause division and, and, and try to get this one mad and she cut me off over here and I don't like how they talk to my kid and all those things which should be dealt with in the realm of long-suffering because he understands the commanded blessing is lifted if we're not in unity. I need you. You need me. We need them. We need each other. We should be doing life together, living together, functioning together, eating together, getting to know one another, fellowshipping together. Why? Because we're a unit. We're a body. You're my comrade. I need to know that if on a Tuesday I get bad news, 
that I got people around me who know how to stand in faith and will support me and will speak faith over me and speak life over me and will stand there and prophesy the promises of God over my situation. Not people who were like, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Don't look too good. I don't need that mess in my life. I need comrades. I need people to lift me up. I need people to support me. I need people to come on. Like, like Moses had his arms lifted. That's not just for the pastors. That's for one another. Speaking life, speaking truth, calling one another to a higher place. Alone, we're a voice. But together, we become a force. These Spartan soldiers understood that warfare was their heritage. Warfare was what they were born for. They understood that they were called to bear it with great honor. I felt this was interesting as I was studying this. I realized that one of the other cities that popped up that was very prevalent at the time was Athens, Greece. And uh, this city was nothing like the city of Spartan. Athens was a culture that was a culture of luxury of politics, and in entertainment. Sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> Luxury, politics, and entertainment. And in the midst of that, God's calling a remnant. He's calling a faithful. Because it wasn't so in Sparta. Their culture was one of warfare, a legacy of fighting and battling generation after generation. They would pass this down and teach it. It was who they were. Can I say to you, you have a heritage of faith. You might say, well, I'm the first one born in my family, you know, born again in my family. You know, my heritage is, is drunken. No, 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 not after salvation. You, you switch family units. Your bloodline has changed. You have people like... Paul and Silas, you have people like Abraham, you have people, you know, of faith that have gone before you. That's your heritage now. People like David who would stand in front of Goliath, your genealogy goes back directly to Jesus because now you are a child and an heir of him. That's the faith that's on the inside of you. I don't care what your grandmother did and your grandfather did. I'm here to declare to you, you have the faith of God on the inside of you. That's your heritage. So from seven, age seven to 60, if you were a male Spartan, you would serve in the military. And at age 60, I love this, they finally let you take your shield home. You didn't retire your shield. You took your shield home with you with honor. But even at that point, if their war broke out, even after the age 60, you were called to go back in and fight. Because this thing was a lifetime commitment. And I know we got some people in the house who have signed up for a lifetime commitment. Come on, somebody. But I said all that to say this, and I guess I could have just gotten there. But after that soldier would spend those 13 years, age 20, when he would go out to face his first battle, it was their custom that his mother would present him his shield. And she would whisper something in the young man's ear, remembering that this is still her baby, but no, now he's a soldier. 
She would whisper in his ear, knowing that he's about to go into battle, knowing that the possibility exists that he would not return alive. But nevertheless, it was their custom for the mother to whisper these words. She would take the shield and present it to her baby, her 20-year-old baby. And she would whisper in his ear, either bring this shield back or be brought back on this shield. Whatever you do, do not leave the shield behind you. Defend it. Honor it. Preserve it. You're never to come back without your shield. It's your most valuable possession. The strongest line of defense that we have. Either bring the shield back or be brought back on your shield. They would do this and say this so that if man were to fall in battle, his fellow soldiers would take his shield, which was probably a lot bigger than this, and they would actually carry him home on his shield and present him to his family. And though there was grief, there was such a thing of honor that even in battle and in warfare, he didn't lose his shield. And I say that to you today because sometimes you have to resolve within yourself that if I die, I'm dying with my shield. Are you tugging along with me? I'm talking about your faith. That if I die, I'm going to die in faith. That's what she would whisper. You either come back with your shield or come back on your shield. But don't you dare at any point in the struggle give up and lose faith. You fight to the end. And I'm here to tell somebody, you keep fighting. You stand and you keep fighting. The enemy has no place of authority in your family, in your circle, in your genealogy, in your offspring. Come on, you fight for your family. You get back on your knees and you keep praying. You keep declaring the word of God. I don't care how bad the situation looks. You keep declaring. You keep declaring. You stand in faith. You speak it. You pray it. You live it. You drink it. You breathe it. Don't you dare come back without your shield. Don't you dare come back without your shield. You come back with your shield or you come back dead on your shield I don't cut and run I don't give up I don't quit I don't leave it and drop I don't get distracted I don't get easily overwhelmed I've made a decision I'm coming back with my shield listen you could lose your sword and they'd give you another sword you could lose your helmet and they'd give you another helmet but if you came back without your shield it was considered a complete And total disgrace. If we go down, we go down in faith. I'm looking for some people to agree with me. If we go down as a church, we go down in faith. We go down fighting. Reminded of the story of John Osteen, who was Joel Osteen's father, and he, even before... Joel pastored, he had, their church was a very large church, and he was diagnosed with cancer, and 
he had requested that they would bring his jogging suit and hang it on the door of his hospital room. And every day he would look at that jogging suit and he would say, I'm, I'm going to wear that again. I'm getting up and I'm getting out and I'm going to wear that again. If you know his story, he never wore that jogging suit again and he passed away. And some from the outside would say, see, God didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't happen. But I look at John Osteen and I say, wow, what a hero of faith. That even in the midst of a darkest, the darkest battle he would ever experience, he made a decision and said, I will either die in faith or I will die on my faith. But even till my last breath, I will not drop my shield. Do I have anybody else in the house with me that says, until my last breath, I will not drop my shield. The spoils are too valuable. We're talking about lives. We're talking about communities. We're talking about cities. Do you understand that we are placed where we are because we are to be a revival center for the world around us? We are to impact and shake Lancaster County and Reading and York and Harrisburg for the gospel and see lives saved. That's why we're here. So to quit and to give up and walk away and lay down your shield and lay down your faith, the cost is too high. There are family members who have yet to hear the gospel that if they closed their eyes and died today, I know we don't like to say it, but they'd be in hell forever. The cost is too high. I have no other choice but to take my shield. There may be disappointments and failures. I guarantee there will be. There will be things that are hard for you to understand. But don't you dare let that make your faith go down. The point in all of this that Paul was trying to say is he's saying, listen, the shield of faith isn't a toy. And this thing isn't a game. It's not something that you play around with. This is a serious thing. If you come back, you either come back with your shield or laying on your shield. Sometimes the shield that the mother would be giving her son wouldn't be a new shield. Depending on the history, depending on the lineage, many times she would be giving the son his father's shield or his grandfather's shield. Many times that those shields would be stained with blood from previous battles that were waged and warred. Parents, can I tell you today, what you don't deal with in your family, your children will. What you don't get breakthrough in your lifetime, your children will have to deal with. So I know it's easier to binge and watch Netflix all weekend long, and I'm not saying there isn't a time and a place for that. Come on, somebody. But what I'm saying, there's also a time and place where you need to get serious about the things of God. Get serious about your commitment to God. Get serious about how you're running your household. Are you praying with your family? Are you doing devotions as a family? Are you speaking the word? Are you teaching your children how to pray? Do they see you praying? Do they know how to get after the voice of God? I want to give my children a shield that has many blood stains on it. See that blood stain over there? That was the blood stain of 
poverty. That was, that was the blood stain of mental attacks. That was the blood stain of depression. And I got victory over it so that now you can walk in that higher level. And you're going to have battles and you're going to have things to overcome. But the point is that every generation is getting better and better and better. And I'm not bringing on to my kids thing after thing because I'm just too lazy to fight. Whatever you do, church, don't lose sight of your shield. Defend your shield. Carry your shield. Never let it go. No matter how many arrows are coming at you, make sure you preserve and protect that shield. So Paul says the attacks are going to come. Just don't let down your shield. He says, I've learned along the way that my job is to simply break the arrows from the enemy and announce to hell and announce to every devil that you've hit me with all that you have, but I still believe. It's an easy thing. I love new believers. They have a fire and they have an energy and there's something so amazing about when you first come into faith faith and everything's possible and everything's incredible and I love it. But you know what I love more than that? I love I love seasoned saints. I could go call and name out some of y'all in the room, but I won't. So I'll forget somebody and you know. But people who've walked in faith for a minute who've experienced disappointment and on the other side of it says, I still believe. Who've experienced hardship and still say, I still believe that God is good. Who has experienced sickness in their body, but they still stand and say, I believe that you're my healer. I still believe that God's a redeemer. And to restore, do you, do you understand the power of that? It's one thing to tell your spouse when you're dating, oh, I love you, we're good, we're loved. It's another thing to be married to somebody for 10, 15, 20, 25, 50 years, coming through hardship and disappointment. Love on the other side of hardship is such more, such a powerful and incredible thing because it's not a new love, it's a tried love, it's a tested love. There were some days... Not for us, because <laughs> some days that she wanted to strangle me out, because she would never do anything that would cause me to believe or want to do that. But saying I love you on the opposite end of that, man, that's powerful. There's every reason in the world not to love. You could look at our culture and say there's every reason in the world to believe that God doesn't exist, and they're all right. We're believing in a fairy tale. But the power is when you stand and say, I still believe. I still believe. So either you perish on it or you come home with it. Actually, Hebrews 11, I read to you last week. I won't read the whole thing again, but it goes on. It's called the Hall of Faith. If you've never read it before, I encourage you to do so. But it goes through some mighty men in scripture like Moses who would part the Red Sea, like Samson, it would 
kind of outline all these heroes of faith that saw miracles and things happen and against insurmountable odds, incredible things happen. And God came through and he was faithful and he showed himself strong and there would be half. But if you go to the very end of that chapter around verse 30, that same chapter, he goes on to say there were others who he did not shut the mouths of lions for. That the mountain didn't move for them. But it says, nevertheless, they died in faith. I believe he's going to move mountains. I believe God can raise the dead. I believe he can drive the biggest disease known to mankind out of the human body within a split millisecond of time at his just command. I believe it. I believe that God can take the worst sinner, the evilest person that's ever walked on this earth and touch his heart and in a moment be an entirely different human being. I believe that. Have I seen people die in faith? Yes. Have I seen mountains not move in someone's lifetime? Yes. And for a long time, it's been hard to reconcile disappointment with believing in God. But I want you to understand, it's all to the glory of God. See, that's where we got the salvation thing wrong because we thought when we came to the altar and we prayed the prayer and we asked Jesus into our heart, well, that meant that he was going to be my genie in a bottle and do for me whatever it is that I asked him to do. But that's not what salvation is. Salvation is coming to God and saying, I can't get clean on my own. Only you can redeem. Therefore, I give you my life. So that when you say go, I go. What you say do, I do. So whether God chooses to move the mountain in my life so that the world would get glory or see the glory of God in that mountain moving. Or whether I die with that mountain in my life, but God still gets the glory because I stood in faith and I never gave up. He still gets the glory. My job isn't to move the mountain. My job isn't to heal the sick and my job isn't to raise the dead. My job is to stand in faith regardless of the outcome. That's freeing. Well, pastor, what if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed? All right, well, that's, that's not your problem. That's God's. And you do what you were called to do and you lay hands on the stick and let God take care of the rest. Well, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. Well, you keep praying until your last breath. You keep praying. But I'm tired. Well, buck up, Becky. It's not getting any easier. <laughs> you don't understand what I'm saying. And this is one of the things that's been burning on my heart even when I was away on sabbatical is just this desire. I want a church that believes God. That we are hope city. We are faith city. We are a church who believes to see the impossible. We are a church who calls those things that are not as though they were. We are a church that stands at the base of the mountain that's bigger than us and says mountain move. And even when we don't see it right away, we keep speaking it, we keep believing it, we keep doing it, and we never back down. That's the type of church that God's raising up here. So if you wanted the type of church 
that will make you feel good a little bit, don't challenge you at all, and tell you your problems are all a result of your family and there's nothing that you can do about them, then move on. I say that in the love of God. Because, yes, some of your problems may have come from things that have happened to you. But now it's you and God. You understand that? Now it's you and God. Not you and them. And God's ability to bring breakthrough in your life isn't contingent on what they did to you. His ability to set you free isn't contingent on whether they ever apologize to you. Shake the dust up off your feet and move on. And I've just been overwhelmed. There are still people that will die today in our city that do not know Jesus. And I do believe that when we stand before the great white throne judgment of God and he holds us accountable for what we did, will he say, listen, while you were on the earth, in your city, in your town, eight million people died and went to hell in your lifetime. I'm just making numbers up. And what did you do about it? Well, God, you know, I'm busy. <laughs> you gave me all these kids. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? For me, it puts everything back in perspective. Well, they don't like me. All right, well, people are dying today and don't know Jesus, so I don't got time to deal with your drama. I want a church that's consumed with the lost. I want a church that stands and speaks faith even when the world and the culture grows darker and darker. I want a church that stands up and tells people who have been imprisoned by their past that you don't have to be imprisoned by that any longer. You can be set free. Like I said last week, not to build a cycle of dysfunction around it and aid you in that process, but to completely set you free. Everyone in here will face an attack against your home at some point, and I'm not exempt. You're facing an attack on your health, an attack on your mind. But I want to remind you, you have a shield of faith. I hope that when I die, I can give my children a financial inheritance. I hope I can do that. I hope that when I die, I can give my children a good name, good reputation, that I didn't blow it. I hope that I can do that. But if I die and don't leave them a penny, and if I die and I've ruined our family name, the one thing that I hope that they get is that shield of faith. What's the one thing you're trying to give your children? Above education, it's important. Above being a sports star, it's good. Do you have the shield of faith?
Today, I want to remind us that we need to honor the shield of faith. Today, after baptisms, we're, and team, you can come. After baptisms, we're going to take a moment, we're going to pray over our children who are going back to school, and we're going to pray over the teachers. But I, I want to speak to even those who would be going back to college in the room or listening online. This year, you will have to choose once again between friends and faith. Popularity and faith. Being a part of the clique or the club, being a part of temporary things. Sometimes you have to push away temporary fun so that you can maintain your faith. Sometimes, regardless of things that are happening, we have to maintain with honor what it means to live different, to lead different. Honor the shield of faith that we have. I say this in closing, but the Roman Colosseum estimated about 5,000 in the height of it, 5,000 Christians a day would have been tortured there. 5,000. Fed to lions. Many of them would have been crucified. But they died in faith. In faith. And carried home on their shield. And I wonder, standing in 2023, if we really recognize the price that has to be paid to bear the shield of faith. You know, we think that our trials, and I know when something's happening to you, it's big and it's important. But sometimes I gotta remind myself. I was talking with a friend in the Lord this week and we, were, we had worked together maybe 10, 15 years ago and I was laughing about the drama back in the day of in the office stuff. How, you know, she did this and he did that. We saw it was so big and important. We're in the mix. We're rolling. We're fighting. Holding our ground. And you look back 15 years later and you're like, first of all, nobody even cares. Nobody cared then and I, nobody cares now. Like, it wasn't that important. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? And this stuff you're rolling through. Now, I know it seems big to you in the moment. What I'm saying is sometimes the reality of it is it's just not that important. When for generations, Christians were martyred and killed for what we have today. I see some of the kids coming in, so I've toned down what i got to say. But most of the apostles would have had their lives ended that way. So I'll close my sermon with this. I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for me. The day that I quit pastoring, I want people to say, wow, he never backed up. He never quit. He contended for the faith. The day I die and go to heaven, I want my kids to say whatever they want, but I want them to say, for the faith. So today I want to challenge you in, in that. 
let's resolve to be that kind of congregation, that kind of church. Your takeaway for today is God. Where have I stopped being a Spartan soldier? And I've become one of those political comfort soldiers. And help me take back up the shield of faith to stand. And when I've done all to stand, I stand still and see the salvation of God.